going to ask for a better song, Sister Bell, to set up the message this morning out of Proverbs chapter number 11. Thank you for that beautiful song. And the truth is, Jesus Christ is the remedy. We live in a sick society, do we not? Sick world. It's a sick, sick world. I get to talking about it. I get depressed. You get depressed. I'd rather talk about the remedy. Amen. Jesus Christ is the solution. Goes along perfect, absolutely perfect with the message this morning. I didn't know what she was going to sing, uh, but God did, and I appreciate that. When you find your place in Proverbs 11, stand with me, please. We're going to read one verse. The Bible says in verse number 30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I want to preach this morning on why we still go soul winning. Why we still go soul winning. We just had missions conference uh, week four last, and we ended on a high note. We were challenged to reach the world with the gospel. Our theme this year is more. Our theme for missions conference was beyond. We got all excited about reaching the world. We had the flags. We had all the, the atmosphere was just pumped and primed for reaching the world. And now this morning we're going to talk about reaching your neighbors and your family and your friends. Amen. Lord, help us, I pray, to put this message together in our hearts. May you do what needs to be done at Calvary Baptist Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Got three-point introduction that I want to spend a little bit of time on to explain why the title of this message. I've preached on soul winning many, many times in the last 30 years, but this morning... I really want to come at it from a different angle. I don't know how far I will get. If I don't get finished, that'll be fine. We'll put a pin in it and finish it tonight. Uh, but I want to get this message off of my heart. It has been brewing on my heart for the last several, several weeks. And I really this morning am preaching this message as much for my benefit as yours. Uh, sometimes we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Amen. I want to preach on why we still go soul winning. And the first thing I want to talk about is our practice, our practice. And that is, in the title, we go. Why we still go soul winning. The practice is, we go soul winning. By the way, that's not anything new. This church was started in 1955. Pastor Art Bowman and his wife started this church in 1955 knocking on doors, and soul winning. I was standing back talking to Miss Carnawetter before the service, and I said, Miss Kay, I said, just make sure, I, I, before I get up in the pulpit, I don't want to speak uh, mistruth. Help me out here. This church was started in 1955, right? She said, that's right. And I said, this church was started with Brother Bowman and his wife knocking on doors. Is that right? She looked at me and she said, well, they knocked on mine. That's why I'm here. 1956, I think. She got here just a few months after this church started, been here this whole time, and Miss Cronowetter has been here at this church all these years. Church is now, what, 67 years old, somewhere in there, Bill, if I'm right. 67 years, this church has been here as a re result and a product of soul winning. And we've got folks that are in this church right now that are here because somebody knocked on their door. Bud Hall, Sister Hall, somebody knocked on your door. Brought you the gospel. 
You were lost and they knocked on your door, told you about Jesus and you got saved as a result. I'm just curious. I didn't plan on doing this, but I'm gonna do it. How many of you are here today, somebody either knocked on your door or gave you a gospel track, that's why you're here. Raise your hand. Look around, look around, look around, look around, look around. It's unbelievable. You can put your hands down. This, this, this is our practice. This church would not be here if it, has, if it was not for a thing that we call soul winning. This church has been printing tracts for years. Years and years ago, this church, this church printed gospel tracts. Now they are spelt T-R-A-C-T, but they T-R-A-C-K people. They track them, amen. And we have right now in our track racks, we've got tracts that were written by some of our members that have gone on to be with the Lord that wrote gospel tracts and printed them out probably on those old mimeograph machines. I know my father-in-law had one up under the stairway all in the basement of the church in Georgia and it was that purple ink. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you turned them out like this. You know, you kind of, everything was done back then. Homemade ice cream, tracks, everything was done like this. Laundry, everything was done like this right here. They cranked their cars like that. But they printed tracks here at Calvary Baptist Church, wrote gospel tracks, printed them, passed them out in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. We're still doing that, by the way. Every track in the track rack, we've got two huge track racks in both foyers. We've got one in the other building. And no matter which door you go out, you can grab a handful of gospel tracks. I wrote most of them. Brother Caleb's written a couple. And we've got some that were written by some of our former saints of God that's going on to be with the Lord. We have had a printing ministry here passing out tracts. We still pass out tracts. We print, we, we print those things by the, by the thousands. We don't print them. We have them printed. But we do all the designing and all the layout and we get it done. And we have those on hand. We pass them out in our soul winning visitation. By the way, we have two organized soul winning visitations here at Calvary Baptist Church, one on Wednesday at 3.30 and another one on Saturday at 10 o'clock. We have people that go throughout the week, different times, meet up here, get in cars together and go out and go soul winning. It is a requirement of our staff to go soul winning. As a matter of fact, I have here uh, in my Bible, I had it okay, just a minute ago, I had it, here it is. We have a staff report. They're stacked up in Miss uh, Plumstead's office on the counter. We've got a box on the wall. And they have to fill out a staff report every week. Everybody on staff has to fill this out. Did you attend Sunday school? Did you attend Sunday morning? Did you attend Sunday night? Did you attend the Wednesday service? Are you currently tithing? Did you go soul winning this week? Yes or no? When? With a blank. The right when and with whom? It's on the blank. It's a requirement for our staff to go soul winning. Now there's some of you that's really excited about that. Our church has soul winning. Woo! Our church prints tracks. Woo! Our church makes our staff go soul winning. Woo! But you've never been soul winning. And that's why I'm preaching this message to you instead of doing this in a staff meeting. Because we can have all the missionaries in the world. We can hang flags up till we can't tell what color the walls are. We can take put missionaries in every country. But it starts when we go. That's where it starts. We go soul winning. I've been going soul winning for over 40 years. I started going soul winning as a little boy. And I've gone just about every week. Not every week. There's been times I got, I got, got hindered or got delayed. But I've gone soul winning just about every week of my life since I was about that tall. I used to go with my dad. I used to knock doors. 
started knocking on doors as a little boy, learning how to talk to people, learning how to witness to people, learning how to present the gospel, learning how to figure out where they're coming from, what their church background was, figuring out which angle, figuring out which door to come in. And when you knock on somebody's door, you don't know what you're going to get. You might get an atheist. You might get a Buddhist. You might get a Jehovah's Witness. You might get a, a, a Mormon. You might get a, a, a you might, you know, so what you're going to get. And you got to, you got to be ready. Uh, and, and you say, well, I don't, I don't know all that stuff. Well, I didn't either until I did it. Right, right. On the job training. Never forget one time I was standing there talking to a boy. He said, uh, he said I'm a Mormon. And I said, well, why, why, why are you a Mormon? He said, well, because the angel Moroni came down and gave, he gave Joseph Smith those golden leaves. And I said, really? I said, how do you know that? And he took his book of Mormon and showed me. He said, see, there's a picture of it right there on the front. There was a painting of an angel giving a man golden leaves. And because that picture was in his Bible, he thought it was real. I said, you know somebody just painted that, right? He just looked at me. I said, well, how do you know that? And, and I was able to kind of just shred the whole idea. But, but it's amazing at what you will find on the other side of that door. I had the privilege of being raised in a family that emphasized soul winning, going soul winning, and enjoyed soul winning. By the way, one of the reasons why I'm preaching this message today is we are going to have Operation Saturation again starting this spring. I think it's been about five or six years since we've done that, and we'll explain more about it as we, as we, as we get all the material together, but we're going to try to do 20,000 bags with literature, and we're going to let everybody in the church get involved in passing out these little bags with little doorknob holes on them. It's going to have a ch- a church tracks, and it's going to have, uh, hopefully get a, a, a Gospel of John in there with a custom cover, already working on that, and, 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 and several different things about the Gospel and the bus ministry, and, and we're going to put those on doors and gates around Dundalk, and we're going to sow the seed that's called Operation Saturation. Our practice is we go. Our purpose, number two, is in the verse. He that winneth souls is wise. The whole purpose is to win souls. It's called soul winning. Now we take that word soul winning straight out of that verse in our text this morning. He that winneth souls is wise. Our primary objective, our primary motivation for soul winning is to win a soul to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that those that do that are wise. Is everybody still with me? If I get to going too fast, somebody throw a songbook. He that winneth souls is wise. Is that what your Bible says? Well, what do you reckon we could say about he that doth not win souls? What do you reckon the Bible would say about them? Unwise. Opposite of wise is foolish. Is everybody still with me? Put your seatbelts on. We're going to hit some turbulence here in just a second. Some of you already got your oxygen mask on. <laughs> he that wins souls is wise. I wanted to point out the fact that this is not my idea. Right. This soul winning thing wasn't something that I came up with. Right. It's not even something my daddy or my pastor came up with. Right. And some of you really are really fixed to be shocked. Jack Howes didn't even come up with it. It's all the way back in the book of Proverbs. Amen. The Bible says he that wins the souls is wise. Daniel repeats that truth in the book of Daniel chapter 12 and verse number three. Here's what he says in Daniel 12, three. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. You and I 
have the ability to turn people to righteousness. We have the ability to turn people to God. We have the ability to win a soul, a never dying soul to God. Multiple passages of scripture refer to our active involvement in the salvation of other people. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse number 1 says that a wife can win her unsaved husband. Let me read it to you. 1 Peter 3 1. Likewise ye wives... Be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. A God-fearing wife, a spirit-filled wife, a godly wife, a sold-out, dedicated, praying wife can win her unsaved husband to God by her testimony. Paul talked about saving people. In 1 Corinthians chapter number nine and verse number 22, he says, to the weak became I weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. What about that? Become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. We're not gonna save them all. You might as well go ahead and get that in your mind. You're not going to save them all. I gave that illustration last week about the little boy throwing the starfish. It was all up on the beach. Beach was covered with starfish. Little boy walking with his dad, picked up the starfish, threw it back in the water. His daddy said, that didn't make a difference. He said, it did to that one. You might not save everybody from hell, but every person that you can save from hell, that's the person you save from hell. Jude talked about saving people. And Jude Verse number 22 and 23, and if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. God's rescue squad. We look at our firefighters and our our, our firemen, heroes that go into a burning house and, and bring somebody out and we give them commendations and medals and we, and we honor them and we should for their sacrifice and their selflessness and their willingness to put themselves at risk in order to save somebody else. But God's plan for reaching the world, God's rescue squad is for believers to go and literally pull people out of the fire by keeping them from going to hell by being a soul winner. I quoted this last Sunday morning. Leonard Ravenhill said, Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in hell, neither do most Baptists. And it's evident by the fact that they act as if people around them are not going there when they are. And we have the solution, as Sister Bell just said. We have the solution. Jesus is the remedy. He's the solution. We know that. We've already experienced that. We've already been on the receiving end of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his long suffering. We've already been on the receiving end of his regenerating power. We've already been on the receiving end of his salvation. Why would we not tell somebody else that was in the same mess that we were in how we got saved and what Jesus could do for them? Our purpose is soul winning. Our practice is we go. Our purpose is soul winning. Number three, our persistence. This is really where I was been for the last few weeks. Why do we still go? Why? Let's be honest. Soul winners have spent 
thousands and thousands of hours passing out tracts, knocking on doors, inviting people to church, trying to get people saved with no visible results. I know I have. If you are a results-oriented person, soul winning can be extremely discouraging. I'll be the first one to tell you that I have, oh, many times second-guessed the necessity of going soul winning. Like I said, I've been going every week, nearly every week of my life for 40 years. You would think that I would have a huge harvest of souls behind me that I could hold up, that I could say, hey, there's a list of people that I've led to Christ on their front porch or here's people that I've led to Christ in their living room that's invited me to come in, present the gospel with them. These are all the people that I've had the privilege through soul winning and door knocking to lead to Christ, but I can't give you this long list. So why do we still go? Why, why do we in 2022 still insist on doing something that we did in 1955? It's a different time. It's a different world. It's a different era. People think different. People respond different. COVID and coronavirus and that whole no contact really threw a monkey wrench in door-to-door soul winning. People got paranoid. They didn't have a problem getting coffee at the drive-thru window. They just didn't want to talk to nobody on the front porch about hell. They had no problem interacting with the drive-thru at, 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 at Wendy's or McDonald's and everybody handling it, money and bags and handling food. And you say, well, they put it, they put it in, a, in, a, in, a, in a little a box and handed it to me. How do you reckon it got in that box? You reckon that drink got in that cup by itself and that lid just got on there by itself and you reckon your ketchup and your straw got in that bag by itself? Everybody and their mama and they handled your stuff and then they put it in a box so you'd think it was a no contact. Come on. We're dumb with a bunch of rocks. We're idiots. No contact. You can't function in a society without contact. It's impossible. But then you go to knock on somebody's door and give them a gospel track, invite them to church, tell them Jesus loves them, and they act like you're out there with some kind of hazmat suit on, fixing to spray them down with some kind of bioweapon. We had to take a step back and rethink the whole soul winning thing, and here's what happened. Last two years, a lot of people just stopped doing it. There been many times I asked myself, why am I doing this? I got a bad back. Some days it hurts to walk up and down these uneven sidewalks, tripping over stumps and everybody's junk, going up and down steps. Come on, I'm just being honest with you. I've been going so long enough, I can complain about it a little while if I want to. I got my stripes. Come on now. I've gone home before. I was like, man, what, what do we even do? Didn't see anybody? Roll up a track, stick it in their gate or stick it in their door? They got no soliciting signs and the whole time you're up there, you keep telling yourself, I'm not soliciting, I'm not soliciting, I'm not selling anything, I'm not selling anything. But that don't mean they don't have a shotgun pointed at you through the window. <laughs> Beware of dog. Beware of dog. Beware of dog. Like, oh, they're probably saved and serving God. I'm going to go to the next house. <laughs> oh, I've had many conversations. I've walked up on many a front porch and seen a German shepherd sitting there going, <laughs> You just start backtracking. 
And you think if you walk real slow and you think real hard that you'll make yourself invisible and that dog won't see you. <laughs> I got on and said, I got bit by a dog yesterday on soul winning. I said, is that above your knee or below your knee? Where is soul winning exactly? I've had them before. I've had to hold the glass door shut while a, while a Rottweiler was pounding that door and it didn't have a clasp on it. And the guy on the other side saying, I want you to leave. I said, I'll leave as soon as you grab that dog. The only thing right now between me and God is this glass door. That door, that dog is foaming at the mouth trying to get to me. I, I, hey, you, I, you, any story you want to tell, I can tell it. I've been soul winning all over the world. Why do we still go? It's 2022. Well, that's a good question. Why do we still go? Why do we still preach it? Why do we still encourage people to do it? Why am this morning, am I trying to give you a heart and a burden? After a missions conference and after an incredible faith promise missions increase, after the exponential growth we've seen in our church's mission program go from 82,000 to up over 350,000 in the last seven years, why would I stand up here on a Sunday morning and preach about soul winning? Well, I'm going to give you at least the first point this morning. I don't know how far I'm going to get, but write this down. We still go soul winning because of the pleading of the Savior. The pleading of the Savior, first and foremost. We go soul winning because Jesus told us to. And I have read my Bible forwards and backwards and I have not found any place in there where he told us to stop. He said, occupy till I come. He ain't come yet. So we need to keep occupying. By the way, occupy is not like Occupy Wall Street where you set up a tent and just kind of hunker down. That word occupy is a stewardship word. It literally means put it to work. It's a management, it's a business. It is a stewardship word, occupy. Occupation. If there were no other reason, and I've got several, if there were no other reason, we should go because Jesus asked us to. By the way, if we go, it will be because we love him enough to do what he asks us to. All the other reasons that I'm going to give you in this message are not going to be your compelling motivation. People will only go soul winning and get involved in soul winning when they fall in love with Jesus enough to just simply do what he asks them to do. Three sub points I want to give you about the pleading of the Savior. Number one, I want you to notice his prayer for workers. This verse was preached on a little bit during the missions conference, but I must repeat it this morning. Luke chapter 10 and verse number two. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great. Harvest truly is great. 7.8 billion people. I can remember sitting in missions conferences, Brother Rolf as a little boy, and hearing missionaries get up and say, there are four billion people on the planet. (laughs) Huh? Remember that? There are four billion people on this planet. And as a little boy, I was like, wow, that's a lot of people. And now there's 7.88 billion people on this planet. The harvest truly is 
great, but the laborers are few. And Jesus, we have here, as far as I can tell, the only recorded prayer request Jesus ever made. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Why did he want them to pray for workers? Because there's something very motivating about praying about something. When you start praying for laborers, one of the days that you're in there on your knees praying for laborers, it will dawn on you that maybe God wants you to be a laborer. I preached a message years ago out of Nehemiah chapter number one, Nehemiah chapter number two, where Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer and they came and gave him the report that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down and the gates had been burned with fire. And if you read Nehemiah chapter number one, it gives you the date, starts the year off, the, the, the chapter starts off with the month of the year in verse number one, I believe. The Bible says that Nehemiah's heart was broken. He began to pray and he began to fast and he fasted and prayed and he give you the date, Nehemiah chapter number one, verse number one. I hadn't looked at it in a while, but I believe I'm right. You get over to chapter number two, it gives you the date again. On the Jewish calendar, that was a space of about six months had passed where Nehemiah prayed and fasted about the walls having been destroyed and the gates having been burned with fire. What was Nehemiah's response? After six months of praying about the walls, six months of praying about the gates, the Bible tells us in chapter number two that his visage was so, uh, 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 his countenance was so fallen, the king asked him, what's the problem? He said, how, how can I not be upset? I'm paraphrasing. The walls and the gates of my homeland have been destroyed. And then the cupbearer, the king's cupbearer, not an architect, not a builder, not an engineer, the king's cupbearer, he says to the king in Nehemiah chapter number two, send me that I may build it. What made a cupbearer volunteer to build a city wall? What what made Nehemiah a cupbearer, a man that was treated like an expendable crewman? If you drink poison wine, you drink poison, eat poison food, you fall over, okay, let's don't eat that. He just died from it. We're talking about an expendable crewman fasted and prayed for six months about a need and then all of a sudden he realized that maybe God wanted to use him to meet that need. So why did Jesus ask his disciples to pray for harvest and for laborers? Because if you and I pray for laborers, they will come when we realize that we are the laborers we'll be praying for. His prayer for workers. By the way, when Brother Sorrell, I believe it was, Use this verse, preach this verse on Sunday night of our missions conference and had everybody come up here and go get somebody and bring them down. What an amazing illustration to show how that works. By the way, if just half of you brought somebody with you next Sunday, we wouldn't be able to fit them all in here. If just half of you brought somebody with you. If a third of you brought somebody with you, we wouldn't be able to fit them in here. I don't think you can do it. I dare you. I dare you. If a third of you brought somebody with you next Sunday, we couldn't fit them all in here. 
That's how it works. But Jesus didn't ask us to pray for good weather. For soul winning. It's a good thing because in Baltimore. And we don't go out, knock on doors and pour in rain. Yesterday it was snowing that way, remember? Snowflakes the size of hubcaps. We didn't go soul winning yesterday, okay? But he didn't ask him to pray for good weather for soul winning. He asked him to pray for workers. As a matter of fact, here's what Ecclesiastes 11.4 says. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Oh, we're going to wait till there's really nice weather. And then we're going to go out and put our seed in the field. You won't ever do it. He didn't ask us to pray for good weather. He didn't even ask us to pray for good soil. And we're going to get to that later, Matthew 13. Not all soil is the same. He didn't ask them to pray for good sowing weather. He didn't ask them to pray for good soil. He didn't ask for them to pray for good prospects and great open doors. He didn't ask them to pray for better soul winning classes and more skill and more eloquence. He said, I just need workers. We see his prayer for workers. Secondly, we see his power for witnessing. If you're saved this morning, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, indwells you. God, the Holy Ghost, lives and dwells within you if you're saved. And I don't think most Christians understand one of the primary reasons that he gave us the Holy Ghost. But the Bible tells us in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. We have been given the Holy Spirit to enable us and empower us to be soul winners. I wonder how many of us are using the Holy Spirit of God for everything but what the Holy Spirit was given. Oh, we like the verses about the Holy Spirit being the comforter. We like the verses about the Holy Spirit opening and enlightening the scriptures so that we can understand it when we read it. We like the verses about the Holy Spirit of God uh, leading us and guiding us into truth. We like the verses about the Holy Spirit being that unction so that we need, have no need that anyone teach you but that God can show us. We like all those verses, but what about the verse where the power of God has been given to every believer through the person of the Holy Spirit to enable us to be witnesses? Right. And I wonder how many people have never allowed the Holy Spirit of God to assist them in the fulfilling of the Great Commission because they've never done it. Right. How are you stewarding the power of the Holy Spirit in the area of soul winning? It'd be like buying a Lamborghini and never taking it off of your street. It'd be like having a car that can run 200 and never take it out of Dundalk. I, I, well, you probably, on merit, probably, probably get up 200 in between IHOP and Duncan if the lights are right. Some of them do. Some of them do. That's all I can do to keep up with them in the mornings. But your first question would be like, why? 
Why do you need a, why do you need a, a $250,000 car that can run 200 miles an hour if you're, if you're never going to leave your neighborhood? What's the purpose? Well, I just like having it. That's the way a lot of people have the Holy Spirit that was given to us to be the power to be witnesses, but they're not witnessing. Let me just read from my notes. It's getting quiet in here. Have you ever allowed the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to assist you in your role of fulfilling the Great Commission? See, the people that are always saying, I don't go soul winning because I can't. It's evident you've never used the Holy Spirit of God in the area of soul winning. Of course you can't. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, Terry, in Jerusalem, till you be endued with power, don't even go out and try to evangelize the world without the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 went out, began to preach. 3,000 people got saved. Look what happens. The pleading of the Savior, his power for witnessing. There's nothing any greater than standing on somebody's front porch or standing in a parking lot or sitting on somebody's living room talking to them, witnessing to them. I've done it on airplanes. And I don't like talking on airplanes. I don't like sitting next to a talker on an airplane. I hate sitting next to chatty people on a five-hour flight. I hate that. I put my earbuds in and close my eyes and pretend to be in another place. But every now and then, there's been time the Holy Spirit of God say, you need to witness to them. And I look over at them and I think to myself, man, I don't want Because if it gets awkward, it's going to be a really long flight. I'm being honest. Am I being too honest with y'all? I would love to stand up here and make you think that I am just the Apostle Paul and that every human being I see, I see as a person dropping off into hell. But that's not how it is for me. I said a while ago, I'm preaching this message as much for me as I am for you. But I've had the privilege to lead people to Christ on airplanes reach in my carry-on, grab my Bible, drop that tray, open my Bible, and just all over the place, New Testament, Old Testament, up and down, back and forth, and watch them pray and get saved on on an airplane. The point I was trying to make before I got distracted, there's nothing any more exhilarating than when you're talking to somebody and the Holy Spirit is bringing Bible verses to your mind. And it's helping you and helping you and helping you because you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how to help this person. I don't know this person. It's a complete stranger. I don't know anything about them, their background. I don't know how they think. I don't know what they've been taught. But when you start witnessing to them, the power of the Holy Spirit kicks in and God takes over. We've got people that have been saved 10, 15, 20 years, have never experienced the power of the Holy Ghost in a soul winning situation. Number three, we see not only his prayer for workers and his power for witnessing, but we see his plan for where to do it. Now, this is deep. Stay with me. His plan for where. He said in Acts 1.8, but you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Both. Now we just 
He had a missions conference and we, we're going to take on, hopefully, Lord's going to let us take on a whole bunch of missionaries. We already support 150 something, but we'd like to take on, we'd like, I'd like to take on another 60 or 70 or 80 this year if Lord let us. Amen. We, could, we could take on a thousand missionaries and they're not going to reach Jerusalem. They're not going to reach our Jerusalem. That's our job. It don't matter how many missionaries we support in the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem is our problem. And Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me both. That means simultaneously. That means here and there at the same time. Well, how do you do that? So many. I was reading Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere. By the way, in the King James, that's two words. Everywhere is two words. His plan for where? Everywhere. They went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs. Luke 6, chapter 9 and verse number 6. And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing Everywhere. Acts 8, 4, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. Acts 17, 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Well, I'm gonna ask you a real deep question. How are people everywhere going to repent if people everywhere are not so winning? How can people be saved everywhere? Where? How can we reach every creature that is upon the earth if we only delegate it to people outside the United States and states we can't get to? The missionaries up north that we support, church planters out west, midwest, the ones on the west coast, and the ones that we support around the world. How do we reach every creature? How do we preach the gospel everywhere if we want them to go where they are but we don't go where we are? Because the missionaries that we support This is a second generation missionary talking, so stay with me. I'm not trying to be condescending this morning. I'm not trying to talk down to you. But every missionary that we support, guess what we are supporting them to do? Guess how they start a church wherever they are? Soul winning. That's how you start a church. Soul winning, just like Art Bowman started a church here in 1955. Soul winning. So we are basically giving money to complete strangers to go to complete different countries and witness to complete strangers when we are not willing to witness to people in our world, in our life. We see if soul winning is obsolete, if soul winning is irrelevant in 2022, then who's supposed to reach our Jerusalem? 65,000 people in Dundalk. 45,000 people in Essex. That's over 100,000 people in just Dundalk and Essex. Who's supposed to reach them? If the, if the members of Calvary Baptist Church... The people sitting in this church is not soul winning. Who is? The Jehovah's Witnesses are going. The Mormons are going. 
when they're 10 speeds and little black badges, elder so-and-so, 19 years old, elder so-and-so. You say, oh, I just don't think soul winning works. Well, I'm going to be as nice as I can to say this. You hadn't done it enough to say that. I don't think it works. It does work. But even if it didn't work, that's beside the point. Jesus told us to go. Pray ye therefore, Lord of the harvest. He was sent forth labors. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and I want you to go everywhere. Pretty clear to me. Well, there's got to be a better way. Well, I think I'm just going out on a limb here. I think probably God would have thought of that. There's no substitute for one-on-one confrontational soul winning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I've got three more points. If you've got the courage to come back tonight, I'll give them to you. But the altar's open right now. If we never preach these other three points, we could close this message out right now. We go soul winning. We still go soul winning because Jesus told us to. He said, I just don't think it works. Just go. Obedience always works. We got excited about the world. We got excited about the regions beyond. We got excited about missions. You say, but preacher, I increased my faith promise so we could take on more missionaries. I did too. Me and my wife and our family did too. But it's not going to win the people in our city to God. That's our responsibility. Maybe you as a Christian this morning should get in the altar and ask God to give you an open heart and an open mind about this matter of being a soul winner. And say, Lord, what do you want me to do? There's got to be something I can do. There's got to be something I can do. He that winneth souls is wise. I want to be wise. I want to be an agent that God can use to help change people's eternal destiny. Our theme this year is more. The best way that our church could have more and experience more is if we did more one-on-one evangelism and soul winning. 